All right, well, uh, welcome also to you and to our radio audience as we begin a new year, uh, a new season uh, in our Bible study. And, and after I've prayed and studied about it, God has led me to conclude that we need to spend the, the year studying the life of David. Now, there is more written about David in the Bible than any other person other than Jesus Christ. And when you recognize that, that First and Second Samuel and much of Chronicles and much of the Psalms is about David, you recognize uh, how important he is uh, theologically to God and to us. Uh, God honored David tremendously from the time he was a, a young teenager uh, in which he called him to be king of Israel. Uh, and God honored David so much that the lineage of Jesus Christ comes directly out of the house of David. There can be no greater honor than to say that you are within the lineage of Jesus Christ. Uh, and we study David uh, especially so because David was a man that had flaws, right? When we study people that don't have flaws, it doesn't resonate with us because we say, I can't be that way. I'm not that kind of a man. But when we see a guy who falls repeatedly, who has character flaws. We look and see how God deals with that person and what we can learn for, as to how God deals with him. And you see that over and over and over again as we study the life of David. And so we will have much to look forward to this year as we delve deeper into Scripture uh, on the life of David. Now, uh, David was clearly a special person in the eyes of God. Uh, and there's a passage that refers to him early on. Turn to Isaiah 55. Verse 3. This is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah. Give ear and come to me, hear me, that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the people. So that's God speaking exactly as to, to how he viewed David. He made an everlasting covenant with David. David eventually, uh, when, when, when this world starts all over again, when Jesus comes back, David will assume his position as the king of Israel again. Uh, and so you see God saying, I made an everlasting covenant with you. Uh, and if you want to see David's voice as it relates to this issue, take a look at Psalm 86. Verse 17. Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. There's the message and voice of a godly man. Give me a sign, Lord. Speak to my heart. Tell me where you want me to go. Open the doors uh, that you want me to go through. And this is what I, what I really want to emphasize this year, this point of continual communication with God on a daily basis. And you know what? You've heard me speak about this before, but it, but it bears repeating. God expects you 
to speak to him every day, maybe a hundred times a day. Maybe a hundred times a day. And so many of us have grown up thinking, well, in order for me to speak to God, I have to go to a church, wrong. Or I have to find a prayer shawl, wrong. Or I have to find a room where I can go and be by myself, wrong. All good things, all good things. But you can speak to God as you walk. You can speak to God as you drive your car. There are many places where God expects you to communicate with him. Uh, and, and what prayer is, is you speaking to God, telling him how much he means to you, how much you love him, and how much you care for him, and constantly asking him to intervene in your life. And so you see this incredible uh, picture of David. Uh, he is the picture of what God wants us to do when we are governed by the Spirit. He is the absolute model for us for faith and obedience and for a church that loves worship and wars in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means this, that as, being, as, being, as Christians and being called to serve God, Satan wants to take you down, all right? Satan is not really interested in the people who are out in the street, the people who are rioting, the people who are breaking the law, they already have them. Why waste my resources on them? But oh, the guys that go to Bible study, the guys that go to church, the guys that the neighbors are looking to, the exemplars of the Christian faith, those are the guys, you see? I can bring one of those guys down. I could probably take 10 other people with me. You see, and so you have to understand this. This is how Satan works. And so as you get closer to God, as you walk closer to the cross of Jesus Christ, Satan sharpens his sword. And so we have to constantly be vigilant and constantly praying. And so you see David understanding this and saying to God, Lord, show me a sign, direct my paths, be a part of my life. Um, and so David's obedience uh, and, and ministry are a standard of what God is seeking to establish in, the, in this earth. And here's the point of David. Not only was David king, David was a prophet. And we will study that during the course of the year. There are significant and poignant prophecies that David wrote about that, that identified the very crucifixion of Jesus Christ. God gave him a vision of who Jesus would be. God gave him a vision of how Jesus would die. And David wrote about that and spoke about that, and we're going we're gonna to see that. And so there are important leadership lessons for us as Christians. Uh, and as we understand, when we read First and Second Samuel and Chronicles, and we're going to see how God raises up leaders uh, and how God will move leaders aside. We're going to study how God, even though he chose Saul, and that's, that's the difference between the permissive will of God and the sovereign will of God. You see, the people of Israel wanted a, uh, a human king. They didn't want to just be led by God, all right? They wanted to have someone that they could look at as a, as a human being. And so God gave him his per, their permissive will. You want a human king? I'll give you a human king. I'll give you Saul. And what we find within a very short period of time is that Saul does not serve God. Saul does his own thing. He is not obedient to God, and God moves on. 
God doesn't sit there and say, okay. No, let's understand that. God moves on. And so very early in the kingship of Saul, which we will study, uh, God determined that Saul would no longer be king. Uh, and in fact, appointed and anointed David. And David at that time was probably 13 years old. And, and we're going we're gonna to study about that, how God chose this person who nobody else would have chosen. Nobody else would have thought that, that this was the person who God would, would choose to succeed Saul. Saul, this mag magnificent example of, of masculinity, about six foot seven, a head taller than anybody else in Israel, incredibly muscular, incredibly good looking. That's why they chose him. They chose him because he had all the characteristics that we look at, that we look at uh, in deciding who, who is the best among us. And yet God sees the heart. God is not interested in the outside, outside man. He's interested in the inside man. And that's the other lesson that we're going to study this year as you see this. And so you're going to see how David grew with the Lord, how David's heart, he was a theologian of God's beauty and emotion. David saw himself as a recipient of the grace of God. He understood that God had poured his grace on him. Uh, he even saw others in the light of God's grace. And he understood that circumstances had shaped his life early on. And he understood that, that God was in charge of his life. And so we're going to study that. We're going to look and see all the examples, all of the circumstances that God was involved in in, sh in shaping the life of David. Now, I want to give you a timeline as we study this so that you have a perspective as to where this sits chronologically. And as I had that in the outline in point three, uh, and you see there that Abraham's life was about 2000 B.C. Uh, Moses was about 1400 B.C. David is about 1000 B.C. Uh, civil war breaks out in the kingdom uh, of Israel, and the northern kingdom of Israel separates from the southern kingdom of Judah in about uh, 930 B.C. Elijah and Elisha are somewhere around 900 B.C. Uh, then the, southern, the, uh, the other kingdom, is, the northern kingdom, is destroyed by the Assyrians uh, in 700 B.C. Jerusalem is destroyed 586 B.C. So remember these numbers, these periods of time generally, as it gives you uh, an understanding of the timeline that we're looking at. Uh, and so as we study, as we study David, what we see is that it, uh, Scripture identifies his obedience and skill in a number of ways. First of all, he constantly sought God. He constantly was seeking God. Uh, he longed to worship God. He longed to be in communication with God. He had an obedient love of God. Whenever he was told he was out of line, that he had done something wrong, he was convicted he didn't stand there and make excuses the way you see Saul make excuses. He bowed in submission when he was told that he had sinned and recognized his sin and then begged for forgiveness and, and, and repentance. And you see God honoring that. You see, there is no example in the Bible where God raises and uses an arrogant man. There is none. But when you see a man who is humbled and bows before the will of God, God raises him up. God knows you're going to fall. But the question is, 
Will you, will you bow and ask for forgiveness? Will you put your life in accord with what God wants? Will you be brokenhearted? Or will you make excuses? Well, I'm a weak guy. I have these weaknesses. No! God doesn't want to hear that. We're all weak. We all have weaknesses. We all have character flaws. The question is, when God speaks to you and calls you and gives you an opportunity and shows you that you're out of line, will you bow and repent and ask for God's mercy? And David repeatedly, repeatedly turned to God in mercy after he fell. Take a look at Psalm 13. And we're going to be studying a number of the Psalms too this year as we do this. Psalm 13, verse 5. Actually, we'll start with verse 4. My enemy will say I have overcome him, and my, re and my foes will rejoice when I fall, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. How do you like that? My enemies will rejoice when I fall, when I trip, when I have failure. But I rejoice in your love and your salvation because I'm putting myself in your hand. I commend myself to you. You understand this man understood what that is. Look also a couple pages further back, Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Verse 19, he brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me, he rescued me because he delighted in me. He delighted in me. Verse 32 in the same psalm, it is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. What a man, understanding that yes, I fall, but the mercy of God comes upon me. Uh, and, and, and lifts me up and forgives me in so many ways. Uh, and, and so we also see that David fasted often. There are many examples that we'll speak about where David fasted uh, in prayer to God. David had meekness and integrity. Let me repeat that. He had meekness and integrity. Now, you may say to me, John, wait a minute. He went out and he killed Goliath. He was only a teenager when he went out and killed Goliath. That doesn't sound like a meek guy, but you see, you have to understand the word meekness. Meekness is power under restraint. Power under restraint. Recognizing that as you go and you take your own will, you take your own proclivities, you take your own talents and you say, Lord, I will wait for you. I will not do it until you tell me to do it. I will restrain myself. There is a humility and a, a meekness that God demands from people like us. This is a hard one. This is a hard one because so many of us do this. Oh, yeah, I, I think God wants me to do some uh, ministry, and I've just decided I'm going to move on and start this ministry on my own. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And what happens? You have a colossal failure. It seems so good. God, why did you not bless this? Because it wasn't from the will of God. It was your will. You wanted to do it. The question was, did God want to do it? I told you myself that in my own life, this was a hard thing. I had been a type A personality my whole life. Type A in the world. There wasn't any wall or door I couldn't kick down as I, I tried to get bigger and bigger cases, more important clients. And so finally, when God had called me, 
to preach and to teach, I had to learn that I had to bow to the will of God. And so that meant that there were several years when I sat in prayer and waited for what God wanted me to do. In my mind, I thought, well, I'm sure I'm 50 years old. I'm sure God is going to call me to head up some big Christian organization. Wrong. Wrong. Well, I'm sure there's some power operation that God is going to need somebody like me with my education. No. No. Wrong. No. No. See, God, God has a different plan for you, John. God wants you to have open your house and bring five guys in. You see? God wants to bring... Oh, God, wait! This doesn't make sense! Five guys in my house? I thought you called me, Father, to, to preach and to teach. Five guys in my house. Bow in submission. You understand? Bow in submission. And here's what you find. When you bow in submission and say, God, I will do what you say. I will do what you say. And so the five came in. And then it came ten. And then it came twenty. And then the street got clogged. And then there were fifty. And then we had to move out. Meanwhile, I never did a single thing to promote it. Not once, not ever, because I had promised God early on. I made a vow with God. I will not do anything to lift up this ministry. If you want it, you will do it. You will do it. Uh, I saw that in my father's life. Uh, and, I, and I determined that if I didn't do that, I would wreck it because I was perfectly capable of wrecking it perfectly capable. And so you see what happens, how God does it, how God promotes it, provided you are within his will. Not your pride, not your ambition, but him. And so that's the lesson here that you see in David, this, this great, great prophet, this great king. I have such respect for him. I, I mean, studying him is such a, a blessing to me to see this man, to see how he lived, and to see how he fell. And you're gonna, we're going to talk about how he fell, some of the worst sins in the Bible. Effectively, he was involved in murdering uh, Uriah the Hittite. Right? It's horrible. It's one of the most unseemly things in the Bible, and we'll get to it. But you know that passage where, where he has an affair with Bathsheba while her husband Uriah is out fighting for God against the enemies of God. And as a result of, of this affair, Bathsheba gets pregnant, and David decides the only thing he can do to cover up his sin, hey, I can cover this up. I'm smart. I'm smart. I'll cover it up. I'll bring the husband home. He'll have uh, relations with his wife. And then when she's pregnant, they'll never know it's me. But the, you see how God intervenes. Uriah was a godly man. He would not have relations with his wife while he knew they were fighting the wars against God's enemy. He refused to go into the house. He stayed outside. Oh, no. Oh, no, oh, no, right. Oh, no, right. And so what happens? Well, it gets worse. It gets worse. Let me send Uriah into the worst part of the fight, right in the front lines, and tell the generals when things get at their worst, pull back, pull back, and leave him there alone, and he dies. Now, let me ask you something. That's a pretty big sin, Okay, you got that? That's a pretty big sin. And yet God will take this man who repents in a broken heart and will have Jesus come out of his lineage. Praise God. Can I get an amen? amen. 
I mean, really, you want to study a better example of what it means to be God's man? What it means as God looks at our lives? We've all fallen. Who would want a, a film of our life on, on view to the rest of us? Trust me. I don't want to see your life, and frankly, I don't want you to see mine. All right? We're all ashamed. We've all fallen short of the mark, but God knows. But the question is, how do we approach the sin? How do we approach God? What kind of spirit do we have? How do we ask God to intervene in our life? And so this is a great, great study as we're going to spend time this year going through this in depth. This is going to, I really believe, give you a template on how God wants you to live. And so here we have Saul appointed as king. Saul appointed as king. And almost immediately, it's like the print on the king document. Didn't even dry. All right? Didn't even dry. And Saul shows his heart and shows his disobedience uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And here's an example in this, in this example is where uh, very clearly Saul is told, go down to Gilgal. Go down to Gilgal and wait, and I will be there in seven days to do the sacrifice. That's what Samuel directed him. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 13. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. Actually, you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll look at uh, verse 4 first, and we'll, we'll read through it. Verse 4. Verse 3. Jonathan attacked the Philistine outpost at Geba, and the Philistines heard about it. Then Saul had the trumpet blown throughout the land and said, Let the Hebrews hear. So all Israel heard the news. Saul has attacked the Philistine outpost. And now Israel has become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were summoned to join Saul at Gilgal. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel, and with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore, they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical and that the army was hard-pressed, they hid in caves and thickets among the rocks and in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gil Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering just as he finished making the offering. Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. Let me explain to you what's going on here and why this is such a profound sin. God had determined, going back to the times of Moses, and you read Leviticus, that the only people that could do the sacrifice were the priests, the Levites. They were the only ones. No one else but the priests could do the sacrifice. And they had to be done in a certain prescribed manner. No other human being had the right to do the sacrifices. Uh, and in fact, we know from our studies of Moses that at time when, when the high priest's sons went in to do, the, to do the sacrifice and did not obey 
did not do them in a proper way, they were struck dead. God doesn't fool around when it, when it relates to his sovereign will as to how a sacrifice needs to be done. And so here he was told, wait seven days. Do not do anything until I come down there. Wait for me to do the sacrifice. And so now you see he's yielding to pressure. People are scattering. People are leaving. People are afraid. He doesn't rely on God. He doesn't let the will of God rule his life. And instead, instead he bows to the will of the people, and now he obliterates the will of God. He knew full well what God said about sacrifices, but he thought he had a get-out-of-jail card. He could do it because he was king. Wrong. Wrong. Look at verse 10 now. Verse 11. So, for Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. Verse 11, what have you done? asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I, compelled, I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Stop. It's your fault, Samuel. It's your fault. I waited for you. You didn't come at the time you said you would come. You didn't come. I waited. And so I felt compelled. I'm an innocent man. You see what God disdains? You see, you see the excuses, the excuses we put up? Now, you just put your own life in there and just substitute for, I felt compelled, you put the line, I'm a weak man. I was born with certain character flaws. I have certain innate lusts. You like that? I have certain innate lusts. I find myself drawn to certain things. It's not me. It's my DNA. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And you see, you see here uh, God through Samuel despising, despising this, despising this. Uh, verse 13, you acted foolishly, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. How do you like that? He would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. They would have been praising you instead of David. Perhaps you would have had the lineage of Jesus come from your background and your descendants. But instead, you have despised the commandment of the Lord. And you sit here and you're not brokenhearted. And so now, what, is, what does Samuel say? <clears throat> but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Wow. As I said to you, the ink was, very, was barely dry. He had only, as you read this, you'll see that he had only been appointed anointed king about a chapter or two before this. And so we recognize how quickly God pronounces his judgment. You're out of line. Your heart's not right. You violated my commandment. Now look, we're all going to fall. 
But when we fall, don't say, oh, it's your fault. You should have been here when you told me you should have been here. All right? It's your fault. I needed friends around me to lift me up, and you didn't show up. You didn't pray for me. All right? And the, the worst ones of all, I have these innate weaknesses. I hear that all the time. I've used it myself. Okay? I just have these innate weaknesses. I'm drawn to these sins. God doesn't want to hear it. God does not want to hear it. And you see it as you see it in the life of David. Well, as you see this, you see, you see Saul's life unfold, and you see that God very quickly, very quickly pulls the cord and says, your kingdom will not endure. Your kingdom will not last forever. Saul was the kind of king who disregarded God's commands when he was under pressure and who sought the people's favor more than obedience to God. Let me repeat that, please. He sought the people's failure more than the obedience of God. Uh, and this is a very powerful, powerful uh, statement here where, where God rejects him and rejects what he does. And you will see that's not the, it's not the only time that this will happen. Uh, and there's going to be another example where Saul will come up against the Amalekites. That's 1 Samuel chapter 15. You can turn there. 1 Samuel chapter 15. And now the Amalekites come up as a deep and profound enemy of the people of God. Deep and profound. When the Jews were exiting Egypt, the Amalekites went after the Jews and struck them at a time when, God, when they were still really a nascent people, had not really come together yet to be strong and be able to defend themselves. And God remembered that. God remembered. And so here's one of the things that you remember about the justice of God. The justice of God. God is patient, but God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget. And so if you think that things have happened to you and God has really allowed them to go on and certain people have been cruel to you, I want you to understand something. God loves you. He protects you. And he will do everything that he needs to do within his time to protect you. And you see it here with the Amalekites. And so we're going to read a passage in which Saul is directed by Samuel to attack the Amalekites and wipe them off the face of the earth. I will repeat that. Wipe them off the face of the earth. Every living thing in that country is to be wiped out. Men, women, children, livestock, animals, all to be wiped out. Now, you might come back and say, I don't understand this. How could God do this? Well, how could God wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah? You understand that there comes a time within the sovereign will of God, and this is the sovereign will of God, this is not the will of man, but the sovereign will of God, where God looks at the enemies of his people and determines that judgment should be rendered to them. Judgment should be rendered. And that's what's gone on here. As you see this, as you understand what, 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 what uh, Saul was instructed to do. And so turn to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people of Israel. So listen now 
to the message from the Lord. By the way, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? Let's understand something. I anointed you. I picked you because God told me. God has spoken to me. Listen to what he said. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle, and sheep, camels, and donkeys. I would say that was pretty clear. Okay? I would say that was pretty clear. Uh, And so now, let's see what happens. How does our brother Saul react to that prescription from God? Take a look at verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Not so fast. Not so fast. Uh, And I love this because it's so typical, is it not? It's so typical of, of, of us. Yes, God, I've obeyed your will. And yet we know we haven't, right? Well, we've interpreted your will. We've edited your will. We've carved it up somewhat, making it more mm, seemly. You know, seemly. Yes, you said this, but as I interpreted it, it didn't make total sense to me, and so I thought you would want me to act a little bit differently. And so verse 14 But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? You got to love Samuel. You know, you got to love him. What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? I I, I just love this scene. Don't you? Don't you love the scene where the, the prophet comes in? He already knows what's happened. It's like God walking into the Garden of Eden after they've, after they've sinned, and, guard, and then God engages them in questions. He's like, you don't need the answers. You're God. No, but I want you to tell me, see? I want you to confess. I want you to speak to me about what you did. You see this here. Saul answered, the soldiers. Here we go. Underline that. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Oh, this is a godly thing you have done. Oh, yes, the soldiers did it, but they wanted, and you wanted, you wanted to sacrifice to God. This is how you sacrifice to God, because you reinterpreted his will. Verse 16, stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Can you imagine, honestly, can you imagine speaking to a prophet that speaks to God like this? I mean, really, can you imagine? I mean, it's, I have chills right now in my spine when I think of this picture. Stop, let me tell you what God told me about you Last night, tell me, Saul replied. Yeah, I'm sure. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, 
You did not become the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? And so you see this picture of Saul being shown his sin. You were told what to do. You received the instructions from God. You know what the command was, and yet you totally ignored it. And we're going to continue from this point next week. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the words that you've given us. I thank you for this picture of our dear servant, David. Lord, I thank you that you've lifted him up and given him to us as a leading light to show us how you expect us to live. Protect our men, Father. Bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.